I promised you last Sunday that in these remaining few services, four or five, I, I need to look at a calendar, see how many there are, but, that I would be very direct with you. And I, <clears throat> I urged you to be very direct with yourself in your own prayers. The dispensable church is a little building block. And all over this world, there are these little building blocks. For the time has now come for the Son of God to return to his Father. For the separated children of God, all our brothers and sisters, to return to our Father, Mother, God. And all over this earth, that is what is now happening. Of course, there's a lot of fear, a lot of resistance to this. And it's not so dramatic a turn that it is necessarily noticed in any wide sense. But my friends, you know in your heart that this is now what is happening. After wandering in darkness, further and further away, in this long, long dream of disaster, suddenly we have had enough. Suddenly we have said to ourselves, there must be a better way. And that's all we had to say. And having said it, we turn around. And that's the point where we are. Some of us have, have walked a few steps further. Some will walk quickly, wait for a while, while others pass. But all this is part of the silliness of the world itself. Because in our hearts we are hand in hand, and how could we possibly leave any part of ourselves in an unhappy situation? None of us desires to do that. And so not one of us will enter the heart of God until every last one of our brothers and sisters are with us. And this is what, for all these thousands of years, we have longed to do. This ancient memory of home is now beginning to awaken in us. This longing for God, for the arms of Christ to encircle us. We have asked ourselves, why not now? Why wait any longer? And so we have set before ourselves a journey. But the Course says it is a journey without distance. It is indeed a very short journey. It does not take long, or need not take long, it certainly is not far to home. 
But there's only one way to get there, and that is one step after the other. For so long, we have adopted the mental attitude that my life can begin when? When I get married. When I can leave the dispensable church and have lunch. When the divorce comes through. When the promotion happens. When the uh, key old opens up and like a big carnucopia, all that we've saved pours out upon us and we're happy forever after, although it's only a few years. How long has this been happening just in this life? First it was when I start school, my life will begin. That one didn't last long, did it? (laughs) Ah, when I get to junior high, my life will begin. They know how to live. (laughs) When I get to college, when I start my profession, when I get married, and on and on and on. This is very deeply ingrained. Do not think that because you are on a spiritual path that you might not be making the same mistake. Many of you now know who you are, where you are, and what you are doing. Who are you? Who are you? This is the question you're beginning to ask, that I'm beginning to ask. Who am I? Who am I? And we have some answers. We have some words. We have some books. We have a few memorable meditations that we love to talk about. But isn't there also this growing sense of peace Isn't there this blanket of gentleness that at times begins to cover even the world? Aren't we even now beginning to feel the presence of God? Aren't there moments, maybe only seconds perhaps, when indeed we feel loved? Aren't there times now when we can look at the strangest things and be flooded with this same love. And so what are we waiting for? When will be the time of our awakening? Why not today? Ah, I could hear a several hundred voices saying, not me, I can't do it, I'm not ready. Why not? What prevents us? Every statement of truth that has ever come to this world has said the same thing. If you wish it, it will be so. It is that simple. Why not wish it today? The journey is very, very short. Yes, we forget our way frequently. We wander around. We have setbacks. 
What are we going to do about these setbacks, these mistakes? Are we going to wait until we've eliminated all mistakes before we walk home? There is no way to walk home until we learn to first realize we have not arrived and that we are going to make mistakes today and tomorrow and the next day. And so what are we going to do about these mistakes? Because this is what's delaying us. Not the mistake, but what we do about it. And what do we do about it? We use it as some sort of evidence, some sort of club to beat ourselves over the head with. I made a mistake this morning. Our house is going to be shown, and I got caught up in getting it clean. There wasn't enough time to get it clean. I got caught up. So Gail and I sat down, and in our heart, we said, what are we going to do about this? There's only one thing to do when you see you've made a mistake. Only one thing to do, not to analyze it, not to try to figure out what it means, not to use it, not to add it to some list that you now drag, drag up and recite to yourself showing how totally incompetent and capable you are. That's not what we do. What do we do on a spiritual path if we wish to walk home quickly and easily and we see that we've made a mistake? We start over. That's the only thing there is to do, to start over. Let's say that there had been some awful blow to your head. And you needed to walk from here to your car. And you knew you had to get to your car. Because of the UN picnic or something, whatever it may be. You have to get to your car or make it more dramatic. It's a, a blizzard has come up. I can remember having been caught in a blizzard in the panhandle and having to make it to a little farmhouse. It was a, there was a light on. I saw a guy carrying a lantern out to his chickens to feed his chickens. I had to get to that house. You don't have to get home there's nothing making you. You will not perish. You will not die. But if you have begun to feel the presence of a blessing, if you've begun to sense in the least amount how dearly you are loved and how greatly you are missed, God weeps for you, says A Course in Miracles. If you only knew how much you are wanted, and if you felt that just a little bit, then you must get home. You must get home. And let's say you'd received some blow to your head, and you were dizzy, and you were, your mind was scattered, and so forth. And there was this little light in the distance, and you were walking towards it. And every once in a while, your mind would trail off into some fantasy, and you would just start wandering around and you would forget to walk toward the light. 
I see this is not striking home. Let's use another analogy. <clears throat> You're in jail. <laughs> Always remember your audience, Manny used to say. <laughs> you have a file. Your mama has slipped it to you <laughs> in the chocolate cake. No one believes that this can be done any longer, and so they stop looking in chocolate cakes. And you start sawing through the bar. If you can just get one bar, you're home free. And you saw, and you saw, and you saw. And your ego says, this is taking too long. Now just think about that for a minute. <laughs> this is taking entirely too long because this is what we tell ourselves over and over again on spiritual. This is just taking too long. And so what do you do? You take your file, you throw it out the window. Right? <laughs> of course not. There's no such thing as it taking too long. If you want to come home, what does it mean it's taking too long? It's too hard. I can't keep starting over and over. What is your alternative? To turn back into the dark and wander around some more? Have some more experiences? How many experiences have we had No. If you want to go home, you want to go home. It is that simple. Therefore, want to go home. My friends, in your heart, you want to go home. You love God. You love your brothers and sisters. You are tired of being separate. You are tired of trying to get advantages. You're tired of judging and criticizing and being judged and criticized. You're tired of these endless betrayals, these little deaths. And so look in your heart and see what you want and ask yourself, why not today? Why not today? When will you be what you are? We give lip service to what we are. What are you? Are you a part of God? Are you a child of light? Are you everything? As A Course in Miracles says. Are you so holy that the trees bend their boughs before you and the leaves settle around you to soften your path and the breezes come to comfort you? And the birds sing songs to you. Are you that holy? You are that holy. When will you be that holy? Why not today? Why not this day? Wrap yourself in the spirit of Christ. And every time you forget, take that cloak of light and wrap it around you again. And start off. The journey is very short to the little light. Very short. When will you get there? Is a half step not good enough? Must you wait for ten giant strides all at once? 
go ahead and take the half stride, the quarter stride. The journey is very short. And so today, say in your heart, there is nothing, obviously, nothing else I want except to come home and bring my brothers and sisters with me. This is a fact. Let's talk a little bit about our ego mind. This is what seems to be giving us all the problem. So we've talked about this before. We've talked about children having an imaginary playmate. Perhaps all of us had an imaginary playmate when we were a child. It's hard for me to think that we didn't. Of course, many of us have forgotten this. You've heard this analogy before, but please consider it once again. An imaginary playmate. Now, what happens between the child and the imaginary playmate? The imaginary playmate has conversations with the child. It says things that surprises the child. You can hear children having arguments with their imaginary playmates, telling them to do things. And it's very real to a child, very real, just as things are very real in our dreams, very, very, very real in our dreams. And how does the child let go of his or her imaginary playmate by becoming interested in real friendship, not by denouncing the imaginary playmate, not by fighting it or trying to kick it out of its room. An imaginary playmate has an imaginary mind. That's clear, isn't it? It has a personality all of its own, just as the figures in your dream last night had personalities and minds of their own. They thought in a certain way, each figure in the dream. You have an imaginary identity. I have an imaginary identity. This is what we have not yet done yet. We have not yet let go of our imaginary identity. It's nothing, there's nothing uh, very fancy about it. It's just an imaginary identity with an imaginary mind. We think we were actually born in one place that we live a very short period of time. What's the, what's the sign you... Uh, life is very hard, and then you die. <laughs> That's the shirt, T-shirt or something. <laughs> and we really think, on one level, that this is all there is to us, and yet in our heart, we know the total absurdity of this. Absolute insanity of this. So you are not your chaos, your lack of resolve, your lack of courage. You are not your anger, your jealousy. It is in your imaginary identity. And when you identify with it, its feelings are yours, just as they were in your dream last night. You had an identity in your dream like that. It was more or less unlike your identity now. But you identified with it so much 
that its thoughts were your thoughts and its feelings were your feelings. So you do not need to fight your anger or your jealousy or your chaos or your lethargy or your greed or your boredom or your nonchalance or whatever it may be. You need not fight it. If you fight it, you put yourself in the same position that the child puts himself in when he fights his imaginary playmate. Do you see the position that the child puts himself in? Trying to get rid, trying to reform the imaginary playmate? This would only strengthen the child's belief in the imaginary playmate. Many of you have discovered that if a child has a nightmare, you discuss it with him in detail. If the child sees a monster, you have him describe it in detail. And in so doing, the monster leaves. If you say, no, there's no monster, and start arguing against the monster, the child has no one to talk to. You have no one to talk to if you fight your ego. You are not turning to God if, you, if you're fighting your ego. So make a friend of your mind. We have battled our mind too long. Your mind and your peace and your center and your way home and your home are all the same thing. And so today, trust your mind. Love your mind. Treat it with gentleness. Treated as a dear, dear friend. Yes, it wanders off. Yes, we've misused it. But we have not changed it. So when it wanders off and it does something that is not helpful, very gently and with great patience, bring it back. The journey is in the mind. Only the mind exists. Your, your, your awakening is done with your mind. This is not a scary concept. This is not a concept to worry about. It isn't even necessary to believe it. All it's necessary to do is to practice it as if it were true or as if it were a little bit true. My mind is important. The ego is like a pair of flannel pajamas. I went in to buy a pair of flannel pajamas. All, the ego doesn't care as long as it looks soft. And so all the softness is put on the outside. Do you notice that? The scratchy hard part is on the inside. But it looks soft. And there's so many bathrobes and all kinds of things that I began noticing were done this way. Appearances are everything to our ego. As long as we operate on the basis of appearances, of looking spiritual, of reading enough books to have the current vocabulary, and doing whatever is the thing to do, whatever is the spiritual thing to do at the moment, as long as our path is that, we go nowhere. Because we're not doing it with our mind, with our heart. This is your day of awakening. This is the day to see that your mind is a holy gift from God. You have not changed it. 
It is not your enemy. Very gently, tell it what to think. Tell it what to do. Very gently, bring it back to the path. And when will you awake? Perhaps today. Perhaps today. And if not, make tomorrow your day of awakening. Be very direct now. Now is the time to be a saint. Now is the time to walk straight into the arms of God. Why must you be something else when an old friend comes into town? Why must you be something else in a store or at a rally or in the midst of a deep discussion at some party? Why must you throw away your spiritual path as we all do? Let this be the day. Take this day and make it important. Draw a circle around it and say, I will do everything I can this day to awaken to the love and the peace of God. And what is it that you have to do? What is this path? How many times have you heard what the path is? The path is so simple, it is impossible to be discouraged about the path. What is the path? What is the work to be done? To be as happy as you can this instant. To be as gentle as you can this instant. Not more gentle than you were five minutes ago. As gentle as you can be under the circumstances at this time. To forgive as best you can everyone. If you are holding a grievance, if you are exercising a criticism, if you are judging, you have turned away from your father and you are walking back into the night. It is that simple. Those steps will have to be retraced. When will you walk home? Then stop judging. Interrupt the thought as quickly as you can. If that's not enough, sit down. Ask God's help. Help! <laughs> that's all there is to the path. Being yourself, being gentle, being kind. Thinking gently about buildings, traffic conditions, weather conditions. Thinking gently about the world, starting over. If you don't know what the path is, sit down and write it. Write out your path. Make it simple. Make it direct. Give yourself a few things to do. Just a few. Absolutely essential is how you start the day. Get up and start it. Orient your mind. Your mind when you awaken in the morning is not oriented toward God. It has just left an almost pure ego state in which you dreamed about a dream. 
in which you had all these conflicting goals. And so you wake with a mind that has many conflicting goals. Oriented. Take the time. If it takes an hour, take an hour. If it takes only three minutes, then it only takes three minutes. But take the time that's necessary until you know you're at least headed in the right direction. Even if it only lasts 20 seconds, you are 20 seconds closer to home. That's essential. You will not make much progress if you do not set your goal clearly in the morning. You will make progress, but why waste all the time that it takes to burn out all this junk that we begin the day with so often? And we usually never do actually let go of it. So give yourself a head start. Take a few minutes, and you will carry with you a mantle of peace What's a mantle? Cook. What else do you do when you sit down and write your spiritual path, your way home? Draw yourself a little map. Here I am. I need to get over there. What's the best way to get there? What's the quickest way? And you draw yourself a little map. How many times have you heard where home is located and how you get there? How many thousands of years have you heard it? Draw yourself a little map. What else might be on this map? Letting go of the day. At the end of the day. This is so important. Not as important perhaps as the way you started. But it will save you so much time. As I've said before, it is within itself a yoga. It is a complete way home. If you were to just let go of the day completely. As completely as you could every day. That alone would take you to God. It will save you years and years and years and years if you will just take five minutes to let go of the day. Because so much of your ego came forward during the day that if you take five minutes to let it go, you have substantially and eternally weakened your ego. Or at least your identification with it. And what else might you put in this little road map? I'm going to suggest only one other thing. So starting the day with God. Ending the day with God. And stopping as often as you can during the day. Just to turn your thoughts to God. Just to remind yourself how much you love God how much you want to be gentle, how much you want to stop judging and criticizing, how much you want to stop getting caught up in this and that and running around and running around. Just to remind yourself. And your ego will come in and say, yes, but you didn't do it. You didn't do it. Throw the file out the window. Why? What does that accomplish? Just say no. That's right, so I'll start over. I will make a little bit more progress. Last Sunday, I suggested three questions that you ask yourself over and over and over. If you wish to be direct, if you want this to be the time of your awakening, if you don't want to just play around with this, 
a few more decades. Your brothers and sisters in heaven, the saints of heaven, are calling to you. They're calling to you. They're saying, join with us and help everyone. It is not making you happy to seek these petty little personal goals that change all the time. Wake into your mind. Your mind contains all other minds. That's why you can help anyone, anywhere, at any time. But you must awaken to your mind in order for that to happen. When will that be? So be very direct. And perhaps these three questions will help. Who am I? Where am I? And what am I doing? Our mind is so confused we do not know the answer to those questions at any time of the day on any level. We do not know who we are, where we are, or what we are doing. Just look at your mind and you'll see. But even on an ego level, you don't know who you are what am I? What, what are you? What am I? Am I a writer? Now, isn't this interesting? A writer. What do you write about, Hugh? I write about the fact that all minds are in communication. Oh, well, then why do you have to write about that? You see how silly it is? I was telling you how rapidly we are losing our Massage therapists in this town because they're becoming spiritual. <laughs> Remember that? Work half an hour on your third eye when all you want is your neck loosened. <laughs> oh, I just, why not a spiritual car wash? I mean, if you can give them spiritual massages... This is a good thing. Some of you are not doing too well. Open a spiritual call. I mean, we're now doing laying on of hands without touching people. Why not a spiritual car wash in which you use no soap or water? Someone's going to make big bucks. You better jump at this. <laughs> so what are you? What are you? What are you? Ask yourself that a thousand times. What am I? It's time for me to stop giving lip service to this. What am I? Where am I? Answer that on any level you wish. I'm sitting in the dispensable church. I'm in the arms of God, dreaming that I'm in the dispensable church. It doesn't matter on what level you answer it. It will focus your mind. Our mind is scattered all over the place, all over the world. We listen to one little news broadcast and suddenly we have a whole different goal in life than we had two seconds before. And then a commercial comes on and we have another goal. Who are you? Where are you? And what are you doing? All right. Now we've ended before with Mrs. Fulton's prayer. Mrs. Fulton told you this story before. I want to tell you one more time where this prayer came from. We have tried to 
find out if Mary Baker Eddy wrote it, because Mrs. Fulton was a Christian science practitioner. And so far, we have not been able to find it. I can't find any word of the prayer in any of the reference books, and the practitioner we called didn't think so, but still, I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I just, since it's called Mrs. Fulton's Prayer, uh, let's just leave it at that. Let me tell you this story one more time. Mrs. Fulton, as I remember her, she was, it was late in her life. She was so crippled with arthritis that she could barely walk. She had one eye that would not open. She had to lean on her sister. And yet, her eyes were so obviously set on God that no one could miss it. You just couldn't be in her presence without, not that she said things spiritual, because she usually didn't. She would chat about whatever you wanted to chat about. But her, her heart was turned to God and nothing else, and I never saw it turn away from God. And I used to get, uh, things would happen to me, like I would have my leg broken. Horse kicked me once and broke it. Another time I broke it when I was doing construction work. I once got very, very bad boils all over me from skiing too long in the sun, water skiing. With the broken bones, I called Mrs. Fulton. These were several years apart. And the it's a, there was a coincidence there. There was an x-ray taken of the bones both cases and about 20 minutes later another x-ray was taken and in both cases there was no sign of the break 20 minutes later in both cases it was in, it was in case I missed it the first time I think that's why <laughs> and yet Mrs. Fulton placed no emphasis on healing if you asked her to heal you she healed you she did not do anything more than that. She did not seek to heal people. And notice how this is true, even in the New Testament. If he was asked to heal, he healed. But he did not go around looking for people to heal. And what did he do? He said, don't talk about it. Forget it. Walk home to God. You asked me to heal you, there, that's healed. Now walk home to God. Don't go running off and tell everybody about this because this isn't the way home. Mrs. Fulton was a Christian science practitioner. Her business was to heal. So she healed quickly and easily. That's not why I tell you about Mrs. Fulton. I tell you about her because when I would go to her, because I was an adolescent, I was filled with philosophical questions. I wanted a grand conceptual scheme And I would go with the question, and Mrs. Fulton would heal me of the question. In the exact same way she would heal me of whatever else it was. She would just close her eyes, and she would start sort of mumbling. Sometimes it would be loud, and sometimes she would be completely silent. But when she did mumble, or when she spoke loud enough for me to hear, it was always the same words. She didn't say them very often, but it's just that this would surface every once in a while. And she was so totally at one with God 
that I have never forgotten that as long as I have, as many times as I've wandered around doing insane things, I haven't forgotten Mrs. Fulton. She was, she obviously had reached the point in her life in which she had said, now I'm going home. And she had her eyes on nothing else. Why not today? For you and for me. Let this be our day of awakening. Let this day be the day we become totally unselfish and help. And so, will you close your eyes with me and let's, I will say Mrs. Fulton's prayer and then the next time let's repeat it together. So let, it, let me say it to you. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art. Say it now with me. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art. Now, turn to your Father who stands before you now with his arms outstretched and say, Father, I'm coming home.